Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background on this episode 111 on April 13th, 2023. As always, you can support this podcast by making a donation on consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate in fiat or cryptocurrency, if you so choose. And I'm joined this week in person, which is a rare occasion, by Alexander Kokotovic. He's the crypto fellow at the Consumer Choice Center, uh, but he doesn't only know about crypto because today uh, we are going to be mostly talking about the banks and whether you trust the banks. So first off, Coco, how's it going? Everything is going very well, Bill. Thank you for having me here. Good to see you in person again. It's been a couple of months, I feel. And we are here in Belgrade, Serbia for the week and, uh, and uh, taking the opportunity to talk about the things that you might have read about in the last, uh, in the last few weeks and months now uh, about banks collapsing. So the question, the overarching question here, Coco, about whether we can trust the banks at all uh, is, uh, is an interesting one because so far it's, well, it's been a couple of small banks that have failed and one rather large bank in Switzerland that had to be, had to be sold um, at, a, at, a, at a rather insignificant price. Uh, so, so first off, like, can consumers feel safe in having any deposits on their banks? Would you, would you say that you can trust the banks? I mean, it's a it's a good question, and it's uh, it's definitely hard to to answer it uh, just with a yes or no. So I would say that obviously regulators would say a clear yes: your deposits are insured, and you will definitely get your your money back. But then we have seen some contagion happening. We have seen uh, the twenty ninth largest. Uh, bank in the United States uh, fail, Silicon Valley Bank, which had 210 million billions in assets. And it was used primarily by the tech sector, a lot of uh, venture capitalist companies, a lot of uh, crypto money was in it as well. And um, there were a lot of widespread fears. And I think those fears were not completely unreasonable over if this can carry a larger contagion, especially when we heard of rumors first of Credit Suisse having similar issues and then Credit Suisse obviously being being bought out, um, which, um, I mean, if, if Credit Suisse would, uh, would uh, come anywhere near to failing, I think we could see a massive contagion uh, both in Europe and the United States. And um, in that case, it would be uh, much much more difficult to answer your your original question truthfully are uh, are um, s- deposits that safe indeed. because a lot of banks will advertise to you by saying rest assured a hundred thousand euros so this is for the eurozone of your deposits are uh, secure uh, this is where, uh, where this is where the, the government would come in were your bank to collapse a hundred thousand euros is guaranteed now that, as far as I know and maybe you correct me there hasn't really been a situation where that had to be actually used so would you could we even be confident that the hundred thousand euros would be something that your government would provide to you if your resident bank were to collapse right that's a good question i mean it, it we haven't we haven't really seen that situation so far and in this particular case uh we've seen a number of mechanisms being started especially in the u.s uh to um to make sure that the silicon valley bank depositors and silvergate depositors uh got their money 
uh, back through through various mechanisms. However, uh, in a case of a serious and widespread bank run, it's a question of how how this would actually be done. Um, as far as the eurozone is concerned, I I don't think we have seen anything um, to to can to this level of of contagion so far, but uh, in theory, I could imagine that that could cause wide widespread issues. And it's a question in that case of obviously if. Uh, everyone would be able to get their up to their 100,000 uh, euro deposits. And if uh, that were to happen, what would be the mechanism to achieve this? Where would this money come from, right? Would it be, would it be uh, driven by additional printing? Would it be um, from, um, from all of the agencies and uh, the, the systems that are in place to actually hold, hold this money uh, first, right? Well, it would be it would definitely be an expensive scheme. So, okay, so let's 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 uh, let's let's wind back a bit and uh, let's assume one of the listeners here has just woken up from a coma uh, that lasted uh, three months, and they woken up and they 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 hear about this thing SVB, never heard of it. This bank, uh, can you run our uh, a recent coma patient? Uh, can can you can you explain a bit what happened here? What what actually caused? this bank to suddenly collapse? Right. So um, let's, fi- let's guess that they woke up uh, three months ago, but they probably uh, were or were not af- aware of Silicon Valley Bank before. So just to give you a brief brief intro, Silicon Valley Bank was basically driving heavily from startup firms in the tech industry. And uh, the company grew immensely during the tw- uh, right after COVID uh, until 2022. So for the last two or three years, 2020 to 2022, where it basically tripled in size uh, during the pandemic era uh, tech boom. Basically what happened there is that we had a lot of money printing, a lot of uh, steamies, uh, landing on on various accounts, and uh, what happened was that a lot of a lot of money actually went to the tech industry. And rather than investing all of the deposits into other startups or venture firms, the bank basically used a sizable share of those funds and uh, placed them into long term treasury bonds and mortgage bonds, right? And those typically deliver small uh, but relatively reliable returns, and. Um, once, uh, once that started uh, amid, at that point, low interest rates, we've seen the Fed in the United States obviously increasing the interest rates for the last couple of months. Um, and um, then on March 8th, the Silicon Valley Bank announced basically that they have a $1.8 billion loss on the sale of their securities. And um, that including the treasury and mortgage bond, uh, bonds, um, which uh, basically lost a significant value uh, during the, the last year. And that's primarily due to an aggressive uh, series of interest rate hikes by the Fed. So uh, those mortgage bonds and a lot of them were, um, were dated with a 10-year expiry. So they would, uh, they would have to be um, held. And right, that, so that happened in early March. I, I think uh, March 8 was the date when, when um, the Silicon Valley announced the, the almost a $2 billion loss. And uh, what market does, obviously, market responds. So the day after, the shares of the Silicon Valley Bank fell for at least 60% uh, due to, of course, investor concerns. And you could see multiple personalities in the space, obviously, noticing this uh, and uh, starting starting to react to that, which in the next day or two caused uh, even a larger withdrawal momentum, right? All of the tech companies, all of the VCs were basically telling their... Um, 
their um their companies to basically withdraw funds as fast as possible. Uh, one of the one of those that is mentioned and uh, is is has definitely done that was Peter Thiel's Founders Fund, and who basically said, uh, "Withdrew all of your deposits. We're unsure how this is going to go." And that basically uh, created this not not obviously not this the 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 fears were quite legitimate on the on the side of the depositors but that created this atmosphere where uh it was uh un, uh, that depositors were unsure if the uh, silicon valley bank is going to be able to um to give them their money back and uh the bank was obviously fdic insured so the depositors are guaranteed protection up to a uh, quarter million dollars to so two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars for different types of accounts held but the problem there was that many of these accounts for tech startup companies it far exceeded that number uh which um means that the depositor depositors risked on losing a significant portion of, of their money. Um, that created uh, um, sort of a lack of, I guess, um, um, lack of trust uh, from the investors and from the depositors if uh, this is going to be possible. And um, there have been investors, there have been, there have been uh, kind of notable names in the industry who basically uh, voiced their concerns uh, about this. Um, a couple of days later, March 12th, another notable bank, which is based in uh, New York, Signature Bank, which catered largely to crypto companies as well, was uh, basically had to close their doors. And uh, this, was a, this was a large um, or, a, or a notable thing because uh, it's still at this point unclear how and why that happened. So uh, what happened there is that basically the, the Signature Bank was was closed and uh, at this point there's people in the space who are pretty certain that signature bank was not in such dire circumstances that it needed to be closed but that further escalated uh escalated the 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 crisis and um what we have seen from then is that a couple of other notable banks obviously silvergate uh and the silicon valley bank that that uh we that we mentioned had to had to um, take the the same route, and then during that day, obviously the Fed had to intervene, and they basically announced an emergency lending program and saying they're covering deposits at issue and restoring wider confidence in the financial system. But basically, what what they have been doing there was that um, by announcing the the emergency lending program, they tried. Uh, to to at least some extent provide certainty to depositors and uh, stop a further further bank run. Uh, now there's obviously different theories as to why and how all this the whole this whole thing unraveled. I don't know if you want me to go straight into that. Well, I I, wa- I do I do want to get into that because um, I mean ultimately what we can say is that for SVB uh, they the the eyes were bigger than their stomachs. Uh, I, I think is one of the expressions we can use there. And different people have different um, 
political views on how and why this happened. Those on the further left will say that this is the problem of unregulated capitalism. And uh, on the right, it's an even stranger argument. I've seen this on Tucker Carlson's Fox News show where he says SVB was, uh, they were just uh, woke lefties and they were spending money on diversity programs and the latter uh, and, and, and so on. And, 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 and that cost them too much money. And this is why they collapsed. Uh, I assume both of these are not, uh, are not the actual explanations as to why this happened. Um, What's a TLDR? What's like a short version of how we can explain that something that we thought we'd kind of figure out um, wouldn't happen again after 2008 has in a different way, but, but, but sort of has, has happened again. This is a, a bank that was uh, essentially, um, well, not really doing their due diligence on, uh, on, on, on their funds. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was partly that. It was partly that the banks were just not doing enough due diligence on the clients they've had. And uh, so, for instance, uh, some of these banks had uh, huge losses after the FTX scandal that I think we discussed uh, a few months back, where, uh, for those who don't know, a uh, huge uh, cryptocurrency exchange called FTX had uh, failed spectacularly, uh, de- uh, basically destroying mil- billions of dollars in value. Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF, as, as he's known, uh, stands to um, answer 13, um, 13 points, uh, 13 um, counts, counts uh, on his trial. He said, obviously, he's not guilty. He's basically now spending time at his, as his parents' uh, house awaiting trial. Um, but basically what happened there is that that um, both the banks are responsible, but so has been the Fed with its, uh, with its um, very aggressive interest rate uh, hiking policy. So, um, for instance, in this particular case and in the case of uh, Silicon Valley Bank, one of the largest ones, what the, the issue was that they've held all of these bonds uh, which had... 10-year maturity bonds. So basically what, what happened there is that um, they were sort of, after the, the bank run had started, they were caught up in this liquidity uh, crisis, right? Uh, and at that point, the the fears of contagion started getting getting bigger and bigger. Uh, this was partly because other uh, other banks uh, have have started experiencing similar problems, some of them larger, some of them smaller, and some even... Uh, possibly larger prob- had larger problems than some of the other banks, such as Signature. So, for instance, Signature Bank, which failed, had less of let's say less of an issue with that than the First Republic Bank, which uh, dropped sixty five percent before uh, its trading was halted. Um, Charles Schwab, which is the eighth largest bank in the U.S., had dropped eleven percent. And I think at that point, the the Federal Reserve Board, the the governing body of the Fed, basically um, announced that it would launch a review of the supervision and regulation of the Silicon Valley Bank in light of its failure, that uh, they will try and stop this contagion. Even Biden went to address uh, the nation from from the White House, and basically he wanted to tamp down concerns at, at, at this point that this crisis is going to spread across the financial system. So uh, at that point, Biden said that Americans can rest assured that the banking system is safe, that deposits are safe, and um, that uh, whatever is needed is going to be, to be done in order to, to stop this contagion. And um, 
now it's mid-April. At, at this point, uh, a month later, we can um, feel that at least some of these concerns have been tampen dampened out, at least for, for the time being. But it, it is very hard to tell and it's going to be only visible in the, in the, last couple, in the next couple of months uh, if, if this is really the case and if the failure of Signature, Silvergate, and Silicon Valley Bank are, are uh, the last uh, we have seen uh, related, related to this. And and I think that's the that's the question that that many consumers will ask. You know, if you, if I'm a, if I'm a if I'm a, a, a customer at a local commercial bank, whatever it could be a small Raiffeisen bank in 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 a, in a European country, um, how am I affected by this? How could I be affected by this? This is uh, billions of dollars in in tech startups uh, in a in a in a completely different country. Um, how could this possibly have a ripple effect on uh, on commercial banks that might not even necessarily engage in many of these many of these schemes? Um, we have a precedent in our lifetime, which is the crisis in o eight o nine which had significant ripple effects not only on banks but uh, but also on uh, on the sovereign debt of many European countries um, I mean this is a big speculation obviously uh, but 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 where do you see where could the where where could this lead in terms of the in terms of sort of the individual uh, situ financial situation for many households in Europe? I mean I think uh, Europeans at this time are um, pretty uh, they they were not as concerned by these specific bank failures as they mostly catered to the U.S. customers. But uh, when we got to Credit Suisse and possible Credit Suisse uh, contagion. Uh, and the, the possibility, obviously, that that did not happen, but the possibility of Credit Suisse failing, that could have huge implications on uh, European depositors as well. And I, I think uh, it first brought a lot of a lot of concern to to regular depositors. Uh, regular depositors were started thinking if they should be the ones taking their money and putting them putting it elsewhere. Uh, and we have seen other markets reacting to that as well. So we have seen, for instance, the crypto market, which immediately um, first fell significantly in, in the wake of the news. Uh, and then right after that, uh, had a significant um, a significant surge where uh, people started buying Bitcoin, uh, which, um, which kind of serves uh, as, as some sort of a hedge against this, at least for the small, for the retail investors. Um, and I think for for a lot of uh, depositors and regular retail, not just traders, but um, regular folk, I think uh, diversification is the key here. So it doesn't mean that they should just take all their money out of the banks and put them into crypto uh, or gold or whatever government bonds, but that some sort of a diversification there is, is, is needed and probably the safest option for your, for your regular consumer. Yeah, and because I think, I think, I mean, we've, we've talked about this in the past, is like, what is a good way to go about this? You know, what do I do with my euro savings account? Uh, uh, what, what, what is a safe thing to do? I think diversification is always what people talk about. Um, but ultimately, uh, if you run a business, um, you have a business account and a certain amount of money is on those accounts and you don't know which bank to trust. Is there a good metric as to how to identify a bank that would be more trustworthy? I, for instance, 
one of the banks I'm using is just a small commercial bank in Luxembourg. Well, I'm even a member. I'm a co-shareholder, co-owner of this bank. Uh, and it allows, you know, that was one of those banks that, that, that was not affected by the, the, the previous financial crisis in 08 because it didn't, it didn't do any investment banking whatsoever. So it felt very secure and actually had a good performance throughout the crisis because it was not involved in, 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 in that matter. Um, there's been a lot of conversation about whether uh, the commercial and investment activities of banks should even be merged, should allow, be allowed to be merged. Um, so, so is that way a good way to go about it? Just pick the smallest commercial bank, and that will be the safe way to to deal with uh, with your with your savings or or whatever um, checkings account you might be might be using. I mean, it it might be one option, but then uh, smaller banks can also be overly exposed to some of these things as well if if they engage in a lot of investment uh, activities, if they are trying to you know uh, buy. A lot of uh, a lot of bonds, which might have a longer maturity dates, uh, if they are actively catering to a company or to um, to clients that engage in such activity, that doesn't mean that they're they they're necessarily shielded from this just because they're a small small uh, bank. I think the interconnectedness of the banking system is a real thing, and compa- contagion can spread. Uh, very, very fast in these sorts, uh, sorts of situations. Uh, what would be the, the best uh, way to, to go about it? Well, I think a regular person, a regular depositor does not necessarily have uh, enough time or resources to go into this wide um, shopping spree of, and research of which bank is the most likely the one that's not going to fail in, in, in such a situation uh, in order to, um, to stay safe. So probably the, the smartest, uh, easy piece of advice would be do not, like the common wisdom kind of a thing, do not keep all, your, all of your eggs in one basket. And this is what, if, if I would have one thing to, um, to kind of um, suggest as as a as a as a way of thinking about these things is that if you have your lifetime savings, do not put them in in one basket, and that's that's probably what what I would do. You mentioned crypto, and crypto has had uh, a, a, a quite an interesting um, uh, move as this as this was developing. Uh, initially, people very skeptical, and then it sort of did. It's, it's a bit of a reminder of what happened when well, when Bitcoin started at the beginning of the last financial crisis, and it and it became this store of value, is this deflationary uh, currency um, uh, do, during the last financial crisis. Do you think? That this is sort of uh, the, uh, well, I don't want to say rebirth, but this is like a second momentum for crypto where a lot of people like have it freshly in their memory what happened during the last financial crisis. Is this the next momentum for crypto? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far to say that this, uh, this might be the, ne- the start of the next bull run for crypto, but it is uh, kind of a nod to the origins of Bitcoin, which basically was... Um, was largely created as a result or uh, as kind of an answer to the bailouts of 2008-2009 crisis. And I, I think if, if we want to look at uh, how people are, are thinking about this, we should probably look at places that are, um, that are um, or citizens from countries which face 
larger crisis. So one of the great uh, examples, unfortunately, and one that I wrote about recently is Argentina. So Argentina has uh, inflation rates unseen since the early 90s in that country. Triple-digit inflation had surpassed 105%, I believe. And uh, at, in, in this specific country, Bitcoin is at an all-time high uh, uh, when, when you consider the, the uh, Argentinian pesos. Uh, so basically, um, I think if you ask Argentinians, they, they would definitely tell you that there's a better store of value than the local currency. Uh, and I think that uh, many of us uh, based in Europe or the United States are still not at that specific point where it's so clear and evident than saving your uh, your money in, in Bitcoin or uh, maybe another crypto alternative is is uh, is the best way to do it. But I think people from from countries who face higher inflation rates, Turkey is another example, are using crypto to uh, for in 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 those purposes, and you could definitely you can definitely see that uh, in 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 different markets. You would see that people who are uh, getting uh, paid uh, in in dollars in Argentina would likely want to immediately use that money to buy stable coins or uh, buy uh, Bitcoin or buy basically anything else than the the national currency which depreciates so rapidly and i i think this is just another another uh example and another use case of of crypto that um that we have been seeing lately um are now of course with uh companies or banks uh, better say such as silvergate or silicon valley who have a number of institutional depositors that might not always be possible, right? So I, I completely understand why tech companies or startups would not hold their funds uh, in in crypto uh, at at this point, at least not a hundred percent of of their deposits. But uh, for a retail investor or a consumer, having at least some portion of their funds uh, stacked uh, in in Bitcoin or other stable coins seems to be the option, and um, I think that's that's what we have been seeing. Now, um, another issue there is basically something that's been dubbed Operation Choke Point 2.0. I don't know if you've uh, if if um, you've been reading up on this a little bit, but basically Operation Choke Choke Point 2.0 uh, got its name. Um, as kind of a sequel of the Operation Choke Point in, that we have seen in 2013 from the Obama administration, where they tried, um, where they basically tried getting a number of companies to, um, uh, or a number of banks to not uh, cater to certain services. And this is what we have been seeing, and a lot of people in, in the crypto industry have been voicing their concerns that this is exactly what's happening in crypto since early January. So that basically means that uh, there's concerns that uh, some of the agencies are more or less instructing banks not to deal with crypto clients, uh, be it completely law-abiding crypto companies, uh, be it the crypto industry that wants to uh, to save their funds in a bank and... and, uh, and um, um, use those banks 
as as their platforms. And this is what what we have been seeing uh, in in the past three or four months is that a lot of ma- a lot of the banks, a significant portion of the banks, has been basically offboarding uh, crypto clients, uh, and uh, that not only uh, creates um, huge issues for for those specific uh, clients, but it creates further problems, obviously, for the industry itself. It creates this uh, very uncertain environment where uh, there is not an equal treatment for all of the law-abiding uh, companies not really dependent on what uh, their, um, their um, role in the economy is. And uh, can further escalate escalate the crisis. So some people have been comparing this to um, basically unbanking the cannabis companies right after the cannabis legalization process started in 2012, first in Colorado and Washington State. And at that point, for a good few years, we have been seeing cannabis companies uh, basically having to store tons of cash in in their offices because they were not going to be banked by uh by uh larger banks uh well crypto is is facing uh this issue again it's as as dubbed operation choke choke point 2.0 where uh, a significant portion of banks is in, either instructed or strongly discouraged not to hold uh, money of their crypto clients um, and uh, a significant portion of them already decided not to. And this uh, creates a perverse, I think, system of incentives as well. It's that um, there's only going to be, and the, the number and the pool of banks ready to accept crypto clients is shrinking. Uh, those who are accepting are smaller, usually smaller regional banks, uh, which then um, cannot accept all of the all of the volume of the crypto uh, market as much as they'd like, because none of them would really want to have ninety or ninety five percent of of their holdings to be from crypto affiliated industry, which puts further strains on the industry itself. Not sure where they can park their funds. So this is basically at some point becoming a, a huge regulation by enforcement, uh, creating further problems for for the sector and um, generally a very very um, could be potentially a very problematic thing for the for the growing industry. Well, that is unfortunate. A bit of a pessimistic note that you're leaving us there with. But Co- Alexander Kokotovich, thank you so much for taking us through. Uh, what happened uh, with a, a bunch of banks in the United States, the repercussions it could have for consumers, uh, and also what it means for the crypto space. Before we go, uh, Coco, let's uh, let's just remind the listeners where they can read more uh, of you. Uh, and because uh, you write a lot about crypto, uh, where can people find more of that content? Absolutely. Thank you so much. So basically, there's there's a couple of things. The Consumer Choice Center blog, uh, the Crypto Regulatory Roundup. So uh, this is a Substack that we're using to write about regular updates, what's happening in crypto regulation, both in the United States and worldwide. You can find it at cryptoregs.substack.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at K-O-K-O-T-A. 
for uh, pretty much regular updates on on or uh, tweets and retweets of what's happening in, in crypto regulation. And um, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll be having a chance to talk about this soon and uh, get further, hopefully more optimistic updates for for your listeners we we hope we hope so as well in any case alexander kokotovich thank you so much for joining the consumer podcast and of course after following all of those resources follow the consumer choice center as well at consumer choice c as always i'm your host bill waits and i'll see you thursday you have to learn to pace yourself pressure you're just like everybody else pressure you've only